Look sharp, Captain. They'll be on us again any minute. At ease, Lieutenant. They say the war is coming to an end. An end? Puh. War never ends. Is that so? So they say. Who says that? Those that say as much. Ah, uh, I thought it might be them. You say so. But So you see, we best stay alert. What's that you're scribbling anyway? Poem to your sweetheart back home? Bit of a cliché, don't you think? A love poem, Lieutenant? Far from it. I'm recording the annals of this terrible war, an unvarnished account of the misery it has inflicted on our society. The heroes who rose up and stood their ground, the villains who tried to lance our very humanity, and the righteous triumph of good over evil, all... Sounds a little dry. ...in limerick form. You're kidding! I love limericks. I was county champion three years running. This isn't your shy prattle, Lieutenant. It's true artistry. Ah, to think we've been sitting here all this time when we could have been spitting limericks at each other. Is that a challenge? Well, of course. Right then, you first. I want you to have to follow my stuff straight off the bat. As you wish. <clears throat> there once was a Palanium bear who protected his soldiers with care. He carried supplies, tore out men's eyes, and let a girl nuzzle his hair. <laughs> Not bad, not bad, but the rhymes were a little telegraphed. How about this? There was once a Roosevelt colonel who was plotting something infernal. He had despicable morals, didn't rest on his laurels, and his luck seemed to spring eternal. Well? That was pretty good, to be fair. Cheers. Hurry up, we're just getting started. Oh, okay. Uh, mm, there once was a Saxony soldier who couldn't have been much bolder. A gun for an arm, he came to no harm because he lived in a four-legged mortar. <coughs> Ouch! Burn! Scorching half-rhyme, sir. Nothing telegraphed about that. Thank you, I think. Let's try a duet. After you. Certainly. Did we make a good decision? Or look at the game with derision? I'm not Ben, I'm Teo. And I'm not Teo, I'm Ben. <coughs> and this was going to be Pixel Vision? Oh, shit. Damn it, Ben. So much for just getting started. I wonder if any of these chaps are up for it. Ceasefire, 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 ceasefire. Don't suppose you fancy co-hosting a podcast? I'm a man down. That was a lovely, creative little intro, Teo. Ah, thanks. I thought it might be fitting to summarise the game a little bit in limerick form. And very easily achievable. Very, very easily Alright, so what is this game that we're, we're already mocking slightly? Uh, yeah, it's Iron Harvest. It's a real-time strategy game, but kind of with a squad-based angle rather than a base-building angle. So the base-building in it is pretty light. You're mostly just going to be moving your troops around, and you're moving them around yeah. Eastern well, Europe. What? Are you in your monologue? Oh, sorry, yeah, I just went into it. You asked me what I thought. Yeah, sorry, I just I meant what game is it we're talking about? And then you say Iron Harvest, and then I say, oh, oh that's good. And now let's get a bit of reaction before we do the whole full hog of the Teo monologue. 
<laughs> Still rhyming, mate. This whole podcast is going to be in limerick form at this rate. All right, all right. I'll relax. I'll relax. I have a sort of setting in my head where it's like the monologue. Right. What did I think? It was pretty Moorish, yeah. Like I enjoyed playing it. Hmm. Did you? It was a bit like a bit of a warm blanket game for me because I don't play a lot of real strong strategies these days. But I played a hell of a lot of them when I was younger. So, yeah, it reminded me of Days Gone Yore, where I could just sit and veg out bird's eye view with a few armies. Right. Well, dare I say it, this for me was a little bit like the greedfall of the RTS genre. <laughs> That's fair enough, I think. <laughs> I mean, it didn't help that my computer just can hack it on any level. Like, I tried mm. most basic graphic settings and it really didn't seem to make much of a difference whatsoever. Which is annoying, because I feel like we've played a lot more impressive games than this and what seem to be more demanding games than this. So I'm not really sure why my computer was struggling so much. So anyway, I took a leaf out of Teo's playbook and uh, booted up a GeForce Now account that I even bothered to pay premium for, can you believe? Mm. And I was very disappointed with both GeForce Now and its spotty connection and its constant determination to boot you out of a game every time you leave it on a pause screen for longer than like 30 seconds. Mm. And also, the game itself just still didn't seem to run any smoother. Interesting. It was just so fucking jittery and like laggy and nothing felt smooth. That's surprising. Uh, Not surprising that you had a bad experience with GeForce Now with this given that the game that I thought it was least suited to that we've played is Frostpunk, because I think games with like lots of little detail, lots going on on the screen, and Frostpunk as well had lots of words. This didn't have too many words. It didn't work, it didn't lend itself, whereas a game which is a bit more like, if it goes a little bit... You know like when you're streaming a YouTube video and you sometimes go from like 480p to 1080p, like mm. when your internet connection goes? It's okay if it like goes in and out smoothly every now and again as long as for the most part it's high fidelity yeah but it didn't work but what i found really baffling about geforce is it doesn't really do that it goes from being really crisp to just giving you that red flashing symbol and like practically freezing your game and then it just says we're trying to get you back in the game and then does it's like well why don't you just lower the resolution drastically like netflix streaming would so at least it's still a smooth experience i know it tries to do that but it just fails pretty badly ah. and it's definitely not my connection i should say as well that was the next line i was gonna go for i don't know what i'm like i knew you were i knew you were i could see you framing it and i just wanted to get in there first and preempt i don't know why i'm like team geforce now not in their pocket or anything but i genuinely have had really good experiences on it so that is a shame yeah maybe i'll give it a whirl in a different game but anyway sorry all of that is to say that uh, i just found this quite a difficult experience there was nothing smooth about it and as a result i never was super incentivized to sit down and play it which is another reason why i have to say in some ways i'm very unqualified for this discussion because it turns out i thought i'd made at least quite good headway but it turns out i I haven't even finished the second third of the game and we'll get onto it but the game's broken into three separate campaigns and Mm. I haven't yet concluded the second one so that's a bit annoying but anyway at this point I do feel like you probably should get into your Teo monologue so do you want to pick up where you left off? (laughs) Yeah yeah you've you've played it enough though you've played it enough so I wouldn't worry and it's nice to have a, a pod for once where I've finished the game and you haven't. Yeah, that's true. So I can give you the spoilers for what they're worth. <laughs> so 
It's called Iron Harvest. It's set in a fictional universe that kind of splits off from the real world timeline around about the 1920s, where I didn't know this, but during the Russian Civil War, apparently, Poland were like, let's invade Russia and get a bit more land. So who knew that that happened? But yeah, like it's an alternate reality set just after that happens with these three fictional countries, Saxony, which is basically Germany, Polania, which is Poland, and Russia, which is Russia. And rather than making tanks with nice tracks, everyone decided to make mechs that run on diesel. So everything has legs, even at one hilarious cutscene, like the carts, <laughs> like these old school carts, which look like they should be pulled by horses, but in fact have these little mechanical legs. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you. So yeah, everything's max, top-down RTS, not much base building. You're basically just building a barracks, building a workshop, pushing out your troops and making your way across the map to destroy the enemy's base. In three separate campaigns. In three separate campaigns, yeah, one for each nation. Yeah, and one for each sort of character that they introduce, right? Yeah, there's a few different heroes, Warcraft 3 style but a bit less developed than that. All the campaigns kind of overlap as well, don't they? They run into each other. It's not like three distinct campaigns which you can pick and choose which one you're going to play. Yeah. It's very much chronological. Well, chronological insofar as how they unlock, but actually you're often playing like the memories or like the recent history of one of the characters. Yeah, for sure. So you start off as Anakos in Palania and you very much feel like the underdog. You've got the Rusviats, which have occupied your country and your... Uh, doing a sort of resistance force against them. Yeah. All right, well, hang on. Just before we get too into the weeds of the specifics of this game, I kind of want to tease apart some of the stuff you already said in that terminologue. For instance, and I know this is going to be me just being a plonker. Go on. But I thought RTS was going to be way more like Age of Empires base building, as you said, than this sort of like almost overlapping with the shadow tactics vibe of like you've got a small group of individuals and you've got to make your way across a map like i was not expecting that i was expecting very much more sort of starcraft or something like that build a base establish yourself harvest resources and then Mm -hmm. conduct this massive raid and maybe during the time that you're developing your base you'll be fending off little attacks or you like maybe have to find some resources that are contested or something like that but in general you would be expanding from a singular point on the map Mm. but that just isn't the case here really is it no did you ever play dawn of war or dawn of war 2 no i didn't that's another reason i'm unqualified to talk about this is because actually rts i haven't played for ages all my references are going to be as old as StarCraft and Age of Empires, really. Right. So, yeah, like, I haven't actually played it, but Company of Heroes, I believe, was the first. Oh, yeah. 2006. Everyone bloody loves this game, don't they? Mm. I played the demo, but never had the full game. But I think this is very much in that vein. And I know that Dawn of War 2 especially is as well. So Dawn of War 2, you don't build a base at all. It's, like, entirely squad-based. Right. And I actually prefer that. And one of my criticisms with this game, actually, is that It doubles down on squad-based games, but actually your squads can die at any moment. And apart from your heroes, they don't carry on between missions. So it focuses a lot on your squads and your units, but never actually allows you to invest in them enough to upgrade them and get to know them. Yeah, and on that note, mate, like one of the things that happens during the game is that your characters sort of level up. They get experience and they rank up to elite status 
or veteran status or whatever. Um, I think there are four ranks, is that right? It goes up to tier four. For the heroes, yeah. And obviously, as they level up, they get significantly better at what they're doing. And I think that is noticeable, actually, while you play it. Mm, Absolutely. But then you roll over into your next mission, which is meant to be chronological, and they just reset back to, like, total noobs. Yeah. I'm thinking... That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. There's no through thought there. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It feels slightly underbaked as a mechanic. Not even as a mechanic. To get you invested in the characters and the world and the story. So one of the things which Warcraft 3 did amazingly well back in the day was give you a few heroes whose level persisted between the missions that you were doing. And it gave you a feeling of progression alongside the story in the same way that a role-playing game would. Mm. But this is completely cut out of that game even though i feel like it would be very easy to implement yeah yeah odd odd decision so another area i quite like to tease out is this alternate history thing that seems to underpin the diesel punk vibe Uh this 1920 plus is a specific alternate history that was like written by this polish artist jacob rosalski yeah um and apparently has been popularized by the board game scythe yeah. I, again, haven't played Scythe. I'm not familiar with this alternative universe. I think alternate histories in general go hand in hand with, well, all sorts of punks, really, but diesel punk especially, it seems. Mm. With, like, the man in the high castle and SSGB and stuff like that. Mm. This one, I do know the board game side, like it was a massive Kickstarter, and I've watched a review of it, but the imagery for listeners is... Kind of like what I was saying with the carts that have legs. So you have these sort of like, like peasants, like scything the hay, li- yeah, literally scything the hay at the same time as like a massive, huge mech with smoke steaming out of it walks past them. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you. It's like, I don't know, peasant culture with weird diesel tech. Peasant culture. Now with weird diesel tech. But I think that's really cool in theory. Yeah, me too. The imagery is amazing. With all these things, um, with all the punks, as it were, I quite like the aesthetic that they adopt with uh, what keeps getting defined as sort of retro futuristic technology yeah so for instance steampunk is very much the steam train or steam industry and that kind of stuff but then it powers like walking mechs or whatever Mm. and the same with this with diesel punk but slightly later so i guess steampunk's more like what victorian era versus um diesel punk that's like post great war onwards Mm. and like i do like that aesthetic but i can't say that this game really sold me on it, actually. <laughs> it's a shame that maybe you were playing it on GeForce Now and it didn't work on your computer, because on my computer it was smooth as anything. And s- oh, here we go. Smooth as butter. Terry gets a brag about his high-end gaming PC again. <laughs> it was. And so detailed. And there were, like, a good variety of maps as well. Like, not massively, but they all felt alive. I really felt situated in, like, the land that I was playing in anyway. And this is why I think the game is a bit difficult performance-wise, is because the detail that they've gone into for the mechs in the game, destroying buildings and fences, pretty much anything in the game, a mech will be able to walk over and crush, and it will crumble in a really realistic way, kind of like control. Yeah, I do think the destructive environments, or destructible environments, are really 
impressive actually mm. although they don't really work with the theme of the game often no. because like for instance you'll capture an iron mine am i thinking iron mine or oil iron or oil either or yeah so those are the two resource types and you'll capture oil for instance and you'll see the pipes coming out of the oil mines and your mech will like walk past and just literally just destroy all the pipes all the surrounding buildings but your oil supply isn't affected whatsoever just keeps churning <laughs> away chugging up it's like well maybe at least make the oil pipes not destroyed <laughs> but yeah it doesn't always work but it's fun isn't it yeah i totally agree and also of course every other building in the game apart from the ones that you and your opponent actually build can be destroyed with the brush of an arm whereas buildings take an absolute pummeling for ages from the mess yeah The other way in which it doesn't work is that kind of CNC generals style, you can garrison your infantry in these houses that can be destroyed. If you're going to say CNC, you should have at least referenced Command and Conquer first. Command and Conquer generals. That's oh, Command and Conquer generals is the game I remember really doubling down on that garrison mechanic mm. with the troops. Like I remember it being really important in the game. God, it's been ages since I played that. Good game though. Yeah. Was Command and Conquer diesel punk, would you say? I think it is a little bit. I suppose it is a little bit, yeah. I hadn't really thought about it. And like I, the Wolfenstein games, Killzone series? I haven't played either of those, but I'm pretty sure Wolfenstein is, yeah. Sorry, yeah, just digressed. Yeah, no worries. What was I saying? Oh, the garrison. Oh, yeah. The reason why it doesn't work is because you'd think in this game that would be super important when you've got like massive mechs compared with these super small infantry that the infantry would get a bit of an advantage by going in the building but actually going in buildings is just so rubbish and the mech literally just walks over and they have to like run out of the building as it's as it's getting destroyed pointless <laughs> yeah. like infantry in this game i was just like unless you can put them in a mech useless you're gonna do something or just stand there and bleed no i didn't think so yeah but there's another thing about that so infantry in this game are the sort of base unit right and they can pick up other weapons and become other types of units. So for instance, you might generate initially just like a rifleman, but then if he kills a flamethrower guy, he can run over and pick up the flamethrowers. Mm -hmm. The reason that's good is because it means your infantry units are versatile, so you can adapt them to the situation that is arising. And also it saves you on resource costs, right? Because a rifleman, when you first produce it, is very cheap to manufacture from your headquarters or your barracks, whereas an anti-armor guy or a flamethrower unit is very expensive. So like it can help you with resources as well if you time that right. Teach them the basics. Firing, reloading, what to do if the thing jams. Or a matter of when, then if, right? Anton? Yes? Guns in the next wagon. They're for your guys. On the double. You got it. I was realising that we haven't really explained what the units are, how they're made. Mm -hmm. Your infantry units obviously produced by a barracks or by your headquarters. Mm. And you also have a workshop. But those are your only three base buildings, right? Mm -hmm. And this drove me nuts as well. Maybe just in my head, I was thinking more of a base building game rather than RTS per se. Mm. But again, I was expecting a numerous number of buildings that would produce different units mm. and would harvest different resources and that could be upgraded numerous times and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, your headquarters can't be upgraded. Your barracks and your workshop, I think, can each be upgraded once mm -hmm. to get you access to a few more expensive units and expand your army size, which is extremely limited throughout the game. Yeah. And I don't know, I found it very limiting. I found it quite constricting. And it was weird to me that after you play the tutorial, which, by the way, is fucking terrible... 
not a good advert for the game whatsoever. You're literally... Oh, come on, Teo. You're a little girl throwing snowballs and being like, play with me, play with me. And then the boys are like all bullying you. And then you go deer hunting with your older brother. It's like, this is terrible. What? And so slow. So slow as well. I don't know. I, I kind of... I was a little bit charmed by the intro, I have to say. Because you're expecting a war game. And then you end up throwing snowballs with kids. Get her! Attack! Polonia forever! Oh, hey, ouch! You are dead! Uh, I'm not! You are dead! You can't just... Uh, ow! Hey! Why don't you become someone your own size? Or taller? She's got reinforcements! I just thought it was quite surprising. I don't think it serves really as a tutorial particularly well. I mean, there's no, nothing to teach. Does. Definitely doesn't serve as a tutorial. I think what it really is, is a way for them to introduce your giant fucking bear Mm. that is an armoured bear that breathes health into you somehow when you're stationary. In the tutorial, as a little girl, you discover, uh, you rescue the bear, don't you? Well, we can get onto the characters, but I feel like you started talking about the flow of the game not being base building. Mm. So let's let's carry on with that for us. So like the flow of an average match or mission would be, as you say, you don't have to build your base for very long. It's pretty much built for you when you start. It's more about placing your units at the like the best choke points so that all of the enemies that are rushing at you, who can't, I don't know what's up with the AI in this game, Some definitely some jiggery-pokery going on in the background because there's no way they're producing things that fast. No. If they're playing properly. I totally agree. They're definitely not. I think either that or they start the game with a shit ton of units Mm. straight away, like way more than you've got access to. And so they're able to just send them at you constantly because you're right. Like it is a relentless onslaught and I find that really annoying as well. Like, Oh yeah, me too. It's so hard to like establish and get a foothold and sort of grow. But that's the fun bit, I think, because initially when you start, your resources are limited. So the way that your oil and your iron ticks up is like you get like a plus 30 iron every second from however many iron points you've captured. So at the beginning of a match, resources are really scarce and you're dealing with this onslaught and that feels kind of exhilarating. Like you do actually have to coordinate your armies really efficiently and place them all in the best places in order to defend. But then eventually it kind of gets to a point where you've maxed out your army limit you can build whatever you want and then it's just like a slow march to the end of the game sort of but do you have to quickly react to your enemy on store because i actually found that the game does this thing where it'll throw actually in a similar way to frostpunk where it'll throw sudden little unexpected things at you so you'll think oh yeah i'm getting a foothold here i'm getting a foothold here the base is over here i'm gonna line up all my defenses over here and then the game will just be like reinforcements are arriving and they'll be like the other side behind you where you haven't fucking targeted your enemy defenses at first light on the fifth day at dawn look to the east At that point, when I was playing anyway, I was just like, well, I didn't know that was going to fucking happen. I'm going to have to reload because I'm getting annihilated from behind. So you just reload. And I found that such a consistent pattern with this game is that I would save, I'd actually make a couple of saves. So like a proper save, as it were, formal with its name of the level and that, and then a quick save. Because if I quick save too often, Mm -hmm. then I'd often quick save in a perilous position. I was careful as I. 
Yeah, exactly. But I would try and save fairly regularly because you just didn't know what was going to happen and which one of your bases were going to be attacked. And realistically, actually, even on a normal difficulty level, and the game defaults you to easy, but we could talk about that in a second. But on a normal difficulty level, it's actually pretty damn challenging. And when they attack you, if you don't know which of your bases is going to attack, you just can't have all your units at all your bases all the time. Yeah. And if they're the other side of the map, because they're mechs, they're massive, they're fucking slow as shit. Mm. They like ponderously move to the other side of the map. And by the time they get there, your base is already gone. So yeah. instead, I was in this pattern of like, save, try and progress a bit. Oh, I get attacked. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. I'll reload. This time I'll move all my units there, ready to counter. I don't feel like that's that gives you the sort of flexibility and the quick fire reposting that the game wants you to have. Mm. Instead, it's like, learn Learn the tactics of the AI and then reload to mitigate them. There is definitely some of that for sure. I don't think it's quite as imbalanced as you say, because I don't think it's about quickly reacting to what the enemies are doing. It's about your initial placement being good enough that either you can react or you're just defended. So say there's like three choke points initially into your base. It's possible to cover those. But then as you're planning your assault on the enemy base, it's going to be impossible for you to like cover all the angles. You're basically going to leave open some points on the map mm. for the enemy to flank you and come back around into your base. Yeah. But as you say, once you learn the AI's movements, you can kind of counteract that sometimes, but sometimes it's literally impossible and you've got to just... I don't know, you don't even know how I did it sometimes. I think you just dig in. Like, I had it a couple of times where I developed quite a big army, I was getting ready to raid the base, so I would start ploughing my way up one side of the map to put this attack on the enemy base. Mm. I would immediately start getting attacked from, like, way down in the far left corner of the map in a bit that I just had no hope of realistically being able to defend. And I would just think, fuck it, those buildings can be lost. Yeah, That's yeah. not that important to my main objective. Yeah. I'll just crack on up here. And that's fine, except getting onto my second criticism from what seems like ages ago now about the base being limited, is that when you build your workshop or your barracks, you can only build them right in your starting position in a very limited little sort of square of earth. Mm. Which means as you push out, as you develop and take more territory in the map, you can't sort of bring your unit production closer to where you are. It's always right back at the other side of the map. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why would they enforce that? And to be honest, like, I, I would often load the game if I just lost a couple of... Because uh, not just heroes rank up, all your units can rank up a couple of times mm. and get quite a lot better. And I'd often reload the game if I'd lost a couple of units that I'd ranked up. Like expensive yeah. mechs just because i thought like well for one the ai on your units yourself it, you have no control over so if you're having to skip around the map a little bit and they decide to just like plunge headlong uh, into an enemy assault then they'll just die yeah that's so annoying and it's like well that's not my fault and i need them so i'm just gonna load and make sure they don't do that the level of command you have over your own units is extremely limited actually i found in theory, the game lets you like move a unit to a place and say, defend this area. But in practice, because you're having to click between all your units all the mm. time and in the course of a battle, redirect them. As soon as you do that, 
then it sort of strips the automation from it and they're left to their own devices again. And so as a consequence, you can find yourself in a situation where you've built a big army, you've told them to sort of wait in a certain area while you keep growing that army before you make your attack. Some random little group of stragglers attacks you and like two or three of your units just decide to follow them back (laughs) to their base. And you're now like working on the other side of the map and you're thinking, what are you doing, guys? You've just (laughs) sort of walked into like absolute hell on earth. And we've walked into a trap. It was all going well, yeah. Just just give me a stand ground command. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Like, I don't understand. Like, what is up with that? Like, there are two things here. Like, one, literally Age of Empires was doing that back whenever that was. Yeah, three decades ago. Three decades ago. And two, like, why when you can build, I guess it is just hard to make AI for an RTS. But like they do exist now, like really good AIs for real-time strategy games do exist, where it isn't just this bullshit of like, maybe they're getting free resources or are able to produce units faster than you and all this kind of thing. Like ones would actually simulate a human player and that would be interesting to play against. Mm. I actually saw units materialise in a group in front of me. I knew it was happening, yeah. Like, I literally saw that. I knew it was happening. I just don't know why, I don't know why they did that either. It doesn't make any, it's just, I found it so frustrating. And it's an example as well of sort of the delay that I was talking about that wasn't just the frame rate and the lag and whatever else that I was experiencing in my playthrough, but that feels baked into the game. Like, I'd arrive in an area, uncover it, I'd be attacking a base and then suddenly like five units would just be around me because they just hadn't like loaded quite fast enough or mm. some shit like that. Yeah, I, I think let's be fair though to the people that made the game because I think it is a pretty small team. I think it's like 20 or 30 people. No, it's, it's 70 people. Is King it 70? Art Ga- yeah, it's King Art Games. I'm going to check this because that would be embarrassing if I start shitting on them. I'd certainly never heard of King Art Games before. You haven't heard of King Art Games, Ted? Number of employees, 70. You must have heard them. German devs. You'll know them from the massive hit, The Book of Unwritten Tales. It's prequel, The Critter Chronicles, and the strongly acclaimed sequel, The Book of Unwritten Tales 2. I'm afraid I haven't done my, my research on these guys. Unbelievable. That's a travesty. I feel like you're not qualified to present anymore. I can hear the pitchforks from our listeners. You've never played the Critter Chronicles. <laughs> but, but like, well, I mean, 70 is, is a fair size. Like, it's definitely a medium-sized studio, right? But I don't know, like, we're, we're being... Uh, we went into a pretty critical line of attack there, I thought. What do you mean? I'm not being any more critical than a critic ought to be of a game they just played and thought was a bit shit. <laughs> Uh-oh. We've got a greedful Ben. Greedful Ben is here. <laughs> well, I didn't come in singing this time, but we're not far off. Fair. No, I just mean we were focusing on things which are, like, janky and do not work. Did you think the game was fun to play? Like, we haven't talked about fun all. Um, not massively. Mm. I really wanted to enjoy it. I'm being serious there. <laughs> like, I know it probably doesn't sound that. Yeah, but yeah. I just found it quite tedious to play. Like, I didn't feel excited at the prospect of sitting down to a campaign. Instead, I found it kind of a bit of a slog. Really attritional. Mm. The difficulty level... I could have dropped it, sure. But... I'd already sent you a little message about that, though, hadn't I? And you were like, no, I'm not a noob. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Teo sends me this smug message like, yeah, probably worth checking the difficulty level because, uh, <laughs> you know, it defaults to easy. And I think probably I've been playing it through on difficult, but really you've been playing it on easy. And I was like, no, Teo, I fucking haven't been playing it on easy. You don't prick. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. That's funny. It does default to easy, though. And I can't comment how easy that is because I didn't play it on easy. Mm. But normal was actually pretty challenging at times. Yeah, it In was. a way that wasn't sort of fun challenging. Like, oh, God, that was so close. I'll just have to redo this bit and then go again. Or like, oh, yeah, I can't wait. Like, there's just not enough to do. Like, you've only got two bases generating units. There's no queue function as well. Mm. You can't be like, this unit, this unit, this unit. Then when you've got enough resources, this unit, this unit. Instead, if you haven't got the resources, it just doesn't let you click the symbol. It's like blocked out. Mm. Well, again, that's something that was going on ages ago. Like when you've got the resources, manufacture this thing. Like I don't want to have to come back and click on the base and tell you again. Just do it now. <laughs> Play a guitar solo. <laughs> I'm a little out of practice. Hey, say do it. So do it, do it, do it. Yes, sir. But for the most part, you won't even have to produce units that much. Like if, if you're careful, then your unit shouldn't die. It reminded me of my, um, my old pa who used to play this game called Cossacks, which I'd never seen anyone else play but him. And he used to just play the same game each day, every day. He was a master at that game. Austria v Austria on very hard. And his tactic was always the same. Like, initially, conscript a load of gun horsemen from, like, the mercenary building and then, like, surround the enemy base and then build up his own gun horsemen and then just uh, gradually, like, tighten the noose <laughs> around his opponent. Uh, same tactic every time. And he just used to, like, play a game every day. <laughs> Endlessly enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. So it felt like that. It felt like that. Anyway, well, one of the other things I struggled with, though, is that... Um, because of the nature of what you're doing, that it is a battle involving great titans of metal, it's quite an unpleasant soundscape. Like, it's mm. relentless gunfire. Your troops are yelling shit the whole time. That is so annoying. They're up to something here. Throwing grenade! We're being attacked! We're under fire! So is being attacked we've lost a squad the enemy is after our oil infantry under attack yeah. squad lost squad lost and you're like all right guys calm down i'm seeing it i've got a bird's eye view i know what's going on stop yelling in my ears yeah that's what our listeners are thinking right now all right then calm down stop yelling in my ears i guess what they do do to mitigate the relentlessness of those kinds of matches which we were just describing because actually in the campaign, that's probably only maybe half or just over half of the matches you play. The other ones are those classic, do you ever remember in Red Alert 2, the mission where you just start with Tanya in a kind of base and you're just walking around with her and maybe like get a few soldiers here and there. Anyway, the RTS games where 
you're not building a base at all. You've just got your hero and you're kind of walking around the map mm. towards the end. So yeah, they have a mixture between those big set piece battles and the smaller scale ones. Yeah, and the smaller scale ones can work. Like there's mm. one in particular early on where you're defending like an armored train mm. that is has also got like a huge rocket launcher on it or something. And you start with a group of about four or five units and you don't have the opportunity to get any more until way through the game. So you have to play quite well to sort of keep a hold of those units and ensure that you're able to progress. Yeah. And I've got to say, actually, as a tactic, once you realise that, okay, because my units are levelling up and they're getting better, I need to keep them alive. Once you realise that and you make sure you've got enough engineers and medics, so medics will repair your infantry and engineers will repair all of your mechs. Once you've got those to hand on the battlefield, then... I did play very cautiously in the sense that I would kind of go in, do a bit of damage, come back out and immediately have those on automated repair. But I mean, there again, even their automated repair was just diabolical. (laughs) Diabolical. Diabolic. Sounds like you went for exactly the same strategy as me then, which is just my infantry were engineers and medics. Engineers repairing the mechs. Medics repairing the engineers. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Medics repairing themselves. Yeah, well, I think it's just one of the few strategies that would work consistently. Yeah. And then constantly reloading when I had to. Which, again, annoying because it takes so long. Unlike the other games that we've complimented recently with instant load times, this is quite, you know, go away and make a cup of tea almost. Yeah, it's true. That's an exaggeration. but And just, like, one more thing on the slight jankiness of it. The pause... There's a One weird... more thing. I've got loads more things, mate. You've got loads more things. The pause is really strange. So you'd think when you hit escape, the game would pause straight away. And then you'd be in a in a menu system where when you like save it, it's going to be paused that entire time. But between like clicking save and like oh <laughs> clicking save game and then clicking the save game button, it like weirdly like pauses and unpauses the game. So that you're kind of not really playing, but the game's like continuing in the background. And the same in cutscenes, like if you hit escape on a cutscene, you actually have more time in the game where things haven't happened, which would have happened otherwise. It's so strange. Yeah, and I loaded the game a couple of times and it was a different, like, th- things had progressed somehow. Yeah. In the time it had loaded to when I'd saved previously, there was a discrepancy. More shit had happened in that window. And sometimes that worked out for me and sometimes it really didn't work out for me. But, like, I sent Taylor a video <laughs> during the week of some of the AI... And they're literally just walking like a meter and then turning and walking a meter back and then turning and walking a meter back and then turning. And I was just stood watching them like, guys, what are you doing? It was very, very strange. (laughs) And I just think the enemy AI across the board is a bit like that. I had another time when this huge sort of robo mech walker thing, we should probably give them names, but they've all got sort of numbers, haven't they? Sort of Mm. that classic, like the R700 or whatever. But yeah, one of these huge robo walkers just was attacking my base. But the first couple of times it was really successful. So I had to keep loading to stop it from doing it. And one time I loaded and it just didn't attack my base. It literally just walked into it, walked through it, walked out the other side, walked down. And I was like, what is this unit doing? Like, it's just totally forgotten its mission here. And there was quite a lot of that. Like, the pathfinding is very strange. And also, because your mechs are so big, sometimes they don't fit through the area that you want them to fit through. And you tell them to go there, and somehow they know that to go there, they've got to walk across the whole map, go over some bigger bridge somewhere else. And you're like, how would you know this? <laughs> I haven't uncovered that. The fog of war hasn't lifted there kind of thing. Yeah, like even a waypoint system. Like, where's the waypoint system? 
that would have been useful. Yeah, you can do the waypoints though, can't you? Because you can hold shift and click to sort of queue up actions. Oh, can you? Uh, fair. I underutilized that probably. The main way I used that was with collecting resources. So when I sent an infantry to collect like a stack of iron, I would just shift, right click it and then shift, right click the next four same. that I wanted them to pick up kind of thing. Yeah, same. I, I did use it for that as well. So you did know about waypointing. So I did know about the waypoint system, yeah. You big fat liar to air. I just, yeah, I never utilized it for moving. I only did it for picking up those little <laughs> stacks of iron and oil. Yeah. Two resources as well. Huh? Yeah. No food. No food for these poor soldiers. How can you do everything with iron and oil? No wood, no food, no stone to build your buildings. That's quite unusual, isn't it? Do not other games have more resources than just two? Uh, what? I think Dawn of War like just has requisition points. So it just has one. But I could be wrong about that. That is lazy, isn't it? Dawn of War is a brilliant game, though, man. I absolutely love it. All right, all right. I won't comment on that because I haven't played it. <laughs> but all right, let's get into some characters then. To start off with that then, did you play the game in English or native? Oh, I'm really glad you asked me this. So I played it in native originally. I love it when a game does that, when it says, mm. oh, you can play it with the native languages. And I thought, brilliant, that's really good. The problem is... The languages are all very Germanic languages, obviously, and, and Russian. Mm. Anyway, fucking grating. Oh, no. So, yeah, sorry to our international listeners from that area of the world, but to an English speaker, I don't know. I just found it very uncomfortable to listen to for a protracted period of time. And I just thought, actually, do you know what? It's not like listening to the sort of melodies of French or Spanish. Instead, it's like quite sort of angry. <laughs> Macie się rozproszyć! Nie mogą nas dorwać wszystkich naraz! Jemand, dem ich trauen kann! Ich bin Soldat! Schon mein Leben lang! So I changed it to English, thinking that that would make it easier. I actually wanted to change it to Spanish and use it as a little learning opportunity, but that wasn't an option. So I changed it to English, and instead I had heavily accented men saying things like, Over here! Split up the troops! They mustn't catch us all at once. I need someone I can trust. I am a soldier. Have been all my life. Oh, what? So they so they speak in a Russian accent in English. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hilarious. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's jokes. So it didn't really help me, but it was slightly easier than listening to the Russian and German. Nice. I don't mind the sound of um. What? I can't remember what you call those types of language either that's really bad slavic that's the one yeah very good I, I don't mind slavic and germanic languages the sound of it especially russian i think is really cool so yeah i played it through on native which is quite fun i think it, that must have made it a slightly better experience because when people are acting in english you know they're acting badly but when they're acting in to be honest, even in the Russian, I could tell they're acting badly. But, you know, it did make it better. Yeah, they're not helped by some of the terrible scripting, though. Terrible. There's a character called Uncle Lech, right? But it's spelled L-E-C-H, which I think is problematic when you're reading Uncle Lech repeatedly. Like the beer. You ever had that? The Polish beer? Lech? No, I haven't. Is it nice? Yeah, yeah it is nice. That's good. I actually uh, had a can of uh, Zubra. While I was playing the game one evening, which I thought was quite appropriate. Thematic. Yeah. Nice. Good work. Uh, well, I didn't track down an international shop and indulge myself. I did indulge myself a bit, but just with your classic brew dog. So if they want to send us free stuff, we'll happily accept. Anyway, character Uncle Letch. 
Uncle Lech, sorry. <laughs> but that was, that's what I mean. I always read it as Uncle Lech for some reason. So one second, he's trying to kill you to make you a martyr. You think he's on your team near the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, you, you know, actually the one thing better than a idol or whatever is a martyr. And so I'm going to kill you. And everyone will be like, you died for the cause and be motivated. That's pretty bad, obviously. But then in the next scene, he shows up and he's like, let the girl go. <laughs> To try and, like, save you. And you're thinking, just let me die. You just tried to kill me just a minute ago. Why are you you turning up to save me now? Yeah, it's all over the place with story points like that, though, for sure. Yeah, another moment, Olga creeps up. One of the characters later on, this girl, Olga, she creeps up on Yannick, who's the older brother I referenced earlier on, and um, tries to kill him with a sword. He's just lay there unarmed with binoculars. She creeps up on him. She tries to kill him. She fails. He defends himself. And then she says... This is a friendly negotiation and we want to keep it that way. And I'm like, what? You literally just fucking crept up on me from behind and tried to kill me with a sword. You shouldn't be lying around on rooftops. Somebody might mistake you for a sniper. Not without a rifle. Your people made sure everyone surrendered their weapons, remember? This is a friendly negotiation. We want to keep it that way. Oh man, this is definitely giving me greedful flashbacks with you. <laughs> Keeping track of the absolutely corny lines. No, God, it's great. It's great. Well, all right. I've got one more. I've got one more because this is the worst one, right? There's a moment when Yannick finds out partway through the second act that he's sort of contributed to killing his own dad, right? Because his own dad's the scientist that gets captured at the beginning. They rip his arm off. There's a bit of a backstory, but whatever. Mm-hmm. He realises he's sort of helped to kill his own dad. And his sister goes, does it matter? He could have been anyone's dad. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I think it matters. I think Yannick probably <laughs> thinks it matters. Like he's literally just accidentally murdered his own father. And his sister, the daughter of the man he murdered, is like, does it matter? I think it does. I'm going to put it out there. No, but the, she she means that you shouldn't have helped to kill anyone's dad even if it was your own dad yeah i know she means that but no one's gonna say that no one is gonna say my parent just got killed it could have been anyone's parent so don't think it's bad that it's mine that's not the way people function it was just really fucking bad bad writing Papa, I, I swear i didn't know it was him does it matter he could have been anyone's father he'll pay for this You've got to stop, Yannick. Stay with us. I can't. Just not yet. Be safe. Yannick! If I got that right, he's your brother? Anikos is like the embodiment of a good person in a story. And the whole story is... You'd think there would be some sort of like grey area in it. There is a little bit more, like the best character is the third one, unfortunately, that you didn't get to visit. Oh, brilliant. I knew this was coming. But t- Taylor's there beforehand. I'm like, maybe we should delay a recording. I haven't played it yet, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, no, you're more than qualified. You're more than qualified. It's fine. It's fine. You've got loads to talk about. And then I come on and he's like, yeah, of course, you didn't get to the best character because that's the third act. I mean, it's... I say best. They're all a little bit two-dimensional, but he's definitely the most three-dimensional. Count von Duisburg, he's a world-weary soldier, like an old man, whereas the others are a bit like naive and, I don't know, just stupid, basically. He's actually got something about him. Okay, well, let's run through them real quick then. So you do it, because I, like I say, I'm not very good on the lore shit, but Anna Koss, little girl from, she's Polanyan, right? 
Yeah, just like thrown into the... Uh, her her brother, Yannick, goes off at the beginning to fight in the war. She grows up, doesn't want to fight in a war, is very, like, wants peace. World peace. Definitely world peace. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. But, you know, like, wants also to fight for freedom. Her her uncle, who's an absolute psychopath. Basically, the context for that bit you were talking about before. You think, Anna thinks you're helping him uh, with a train of apples into this besieged city. The CGI in it is so bad. And there's this funny one where she's like throwing apples out the train. And then like she sees her uncle like uncover a big machine gun. It's like, come on. <laughs> Obviously, that's what he's doing, Anna. Uh, so yeah, those are the main Palladium ones. I really do want world peace. Then you've got Yannick, who gets turned into this sort of cyber soldier suit, which he can't get out of. Yeah, let's talk about this, though, right? Because I'm not going to gloss over this bit. So Yannick, her older brother, she thinks is dead uh-huh. in the war. She discovers him in a full fucking mech suit that he's been, like, bonded with by Tesla or whatever. Tesla's technology. Uh-huh. We haven't even mentioned yet. And he's working for the Rusviats, who he was originally fighting against at the beginning. So... Straight away, you're like, huh, okay, this is weird. They'll have a good explanation for this. Their explanation, apparently, is that they bonded you into this suit. You try and break out wearing the suit. They applaud you and are like, yeah, good effort. That was all a training exercise. Now you're bonded to this suit. You've just got to do everything we want you to. And even though you're an absolute killing machine and you've just demonstrated that by killing loads of their own men who they willingly sent to the slaughter, Mm. you're like, yeah, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll come along with you for the ride in the hope that maybe I can get out of this suit at some stage. And in the meantime, you're just slaughtering your own countrymen. That's not quite how it is. Zubov, who's the main villain in the game, decent villain, actually, like he is well evil. (laughs) He thinks that you're his friend, Victor. So you're impersonating his friend. So Olga's like swapped the bodies, but you're pretending to be his friend, Victor, so that you can get like close to this evil organization, Fenris, and like ultimately destroy them from the inside. But why are you pretending? That doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's the key point there. It's like the, the whole time, just kill each time you play a mission, he's like, I'm getting closer to killing Colonel Zuboff. He saves Colonel Zuboff twice. He saves Colonel him. Zuboff literally says, That's the second time you've saved me, friend. And in the next cutscene, he says, When we get inside, we'll get Tesla or whatever. And you say, as Yannick, When we get inside, I'll kill you. And I'm thinking, you literally could have just not saved him a minute ago. And job done. Wham, bam, strawberry jam, as nobody says. Did you get to that bit, into the factory? No, unfortunately, that's the mission I I was on. Okay, I could start spoiling it for you then, because you're going to absolutely hate this. And I did as well. (laughs) Basically, so he follows through with it. He's about to kill him. I'm not even sure why he had to wait. Oh, because, so Janek, who's stuck in a suit, wants Tesla to be able to get him out. Yeah. So he's going to wait until, not even anything to do with getting rid of Fenris. Anyway, so he goes to shoot Zubov. Zubov obviously has like a kill switch for his suit. So he shuts him down. Then Count von Duisburg puts a pistol at Zubov's head behind him. And he's like, 
what are you doing here? He's like beating you as usual or whatever. And then it's a whole flashback for the whole Saxony campaign, which then you build up to the same point in time. Right, okay. With the count. So then you do the whole Saxony campaign and get to that same point at Tesla's factory. But then he escapes again. Zubov escapes again. Oh my God. <laughs> like Janet like puts him up against the wall and like, oh, no, maybe it's not Janet, it's the count. Zubov like pushes him away and like, absolutely legs it. <laughs> hilariously and literally like cheeses it away Janet like shoots him but he misses and so yeah he gets away even at the very end so this is the running theme of almost every cutscene in the game is Colonel Zuboff almost getting killed and then somehow escaping against impossible odds like in fact this is exemplified in one mission where you're this is a mission where you're playing with Colonel Zuboff so it doesn't quite work but it's exemplified in the sense that you're asked to raid this castle right but before you raid it, you have to cut off every escape route around the map where they might escape from. Mm. So you do that, you conquer the whole map, all the enemy units are gone, you go to the castle, and if you're anything like I was, I anticipated that when it says raid the castle, it was going to be a big battle. You get there, the castle in the middle is empty, there's just a flagpole. Click on the flagpole to raise the flag, and fucking your little geezer that you've gone in there to attack just escapes from a back passage. And you're like, what? I'm like, this whole thing has been to stop you escaping. Uh, I had to reload that pre-cut scene and make sure that my men were close enough to the exit of the castle that when he escapes, that they could intercept him because he just walks off the edge of the map. Yeah, but that one, they say, like, hold the three checkpoints. So I, like, built, like, a pillbox at each one and then he runs towards one of them. So it's like you've cut off his escape. I actually thought that's quite nice. I thought it was rubbish. I mean, it is stupid. It's stupid in the way that you say it because you, like, you've surrounded the castle and he still manages to like sneak out a little passage. But yeah, With an escort? Where'd the escort come yeah, from? I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, where, where were we in the story? You were saying it all leads back to that sort of final conclusion. And once again, Zuploff escapes. And there's a few other characters in there, but those are the main ones. But what's unclear is that you've got this guy, Tesla, who has like the most advanced technology and yeah he's like the sort of tony stark of the day isn't he exactly yeah exactly i thought you said you were done making weapons it is this is a flight stabilizer it's completely hopeless i didn't expect that but he's been unable to stop the nations from going to war with each other so he's basically like i'm not giving you any of my technology i'm just gonna keep it all here in this technological city for people who want peace but obviously Fenris the evil organization wants the technology so that they can rule the world I don't know honestly there's this really really not well explained <laughs> I'm not explaining the not explained vacuum it, it's oh, it's like a vacuum where like it's almost this story trying to come out but then actually there's nothing to it at all and because you don't really get to know any of the characters <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Zubov was the only one I liked, actually, just because he was hilariously evil. And the Count von Duisburg as well. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean, but I also just found him quite despicable because it just annoyed me that he was always alive. I just felt he should have died so many times. And also, you get to play as him, and his character's shit. It's got, like, these spinning saw blades, and he, like, rocket jumps into battle, and that's all he's got. 
and you're thinking you're in a massive mech. Like, you are a waste of metal, what? mate. I thought it was good. <laughs> like, did you not think that about loads of the kind? Oh, worse than that, there's one early on. I'm not sure if it's the same guy. When you ride into battle on horses. Oh, yeah. And, like, your only ability is to throw a little grenade when you get there. And every time the horses ran in, bearing in mind this is one of your heroes, quote, unquote, he rides into battle and would just get annihilated every single time. Yeah, it's like yeah. cavalry did fuck all against the enemy. I literally just sent him to the base and told him to wait there and played without him the whole game. We've already forecasted spoilers, but you would have loved the last mission because basically it's a, a reprise of all of the heroes apart from Zubov. You only have control of those heroes. There's also that four-legged massive, kind of like an 80-80 in Star Wars that you get in the final campaign, which is so slow, but kind of fun. And you have to just destroy this, uh, one of Tesla's robots, which is going to nuke the whole area. Right. So the whole mission is just pummeling, grinding down this thing's health bar. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's interminable. It's honestly one of the worst design missions I've ever seen. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's completely bad. Well, that's funny because I was going to sort of conclude by saying that even though I've said all this negative shit about it, it's that thing of it lays down a gauntlet for you or it sets a challenge that you feel almost obliged to defeat. So I was really annoyed that we were recording this, uh, like not early, obviously we, we've taken a long time to get here, but for me early, because I hadn't finished the campaign, I felt really frustrated by that because actually I would have liked to have completed it. And that puts me in a weird place really, because on the one hand I'm saying it's shit, it's a waste of time, it's a waste of space. I'm not quite saying that, but you know, that's what it sounds like I'm saying. And on the other hand, I'm like, but it is compelling enough that I want to play it and I want to complete it and I want to play the next one and I want to have the opportunity to absolutely lambast the next crap cutscene. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely not saying it's bad either. I really enjoyed play- it took me 26 hours to complete the game and I was trying to complete it. Like I, pl- I played a mission a night pretty much that is a good effort man because some of those missions can really go on like Mm. you think you're just going to play for 45 minutes and like two hours later you're still going yeah but it was enjoyable like when it's at its best i felt like i was i was having to react really quickly and like basically your clicks per minute or whatever they call it in starcraft actions per minute yeah felt really high and at those moments you it feels like an exhilarating rts but those long missions do just drag on too much and Although they do try and break it up with story missions and give you some purpose with the characters, they don't quite integrate that enough with the actual playing of the game or an actually good story, even though the setting is really good for it to really hit. Uh, So yeah, a, a mixed, a mixed review, I'd say from me. Yeah, same here, same here. And I think part of the reason why I was slightly more irritated by it than I might otherwise have been is the cost. It's not a cheap game. Like, I know it's fairly new out. It came out September the 1st, 2020. Mm. So that's, you know, fairly recent. And I get that. But it's just not impressive. It's not a AAA title. It's hard to justify a cost of... I think I bought it in a sale. And even in a sale, it was like 30 quid. Yeah. And I feel like if I'd paid sort of a tenner, maybe I'd think, that's all right. You know, it was worth the money. But for 30 quid, I just thought, this is actually a (laughs) ripoff. Yeah, it feels like a game that's been made by 30 people, not 70 people, for sure. I mean, we, we don't know who, what the allocation of resources is in the company. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah, for all we know, it could be 30 people and the other mm. 40 are just um, social media. 
Yeah, yeah. Because they've got a massive online presence, haven't they? Wow. <laughs> These guys, what are they called again? King Arts Games or whatever? <laughs> well, funny. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that, because there's nothing wrong with having a small profile. This beef between Ben and King Art. Yeah, this, the new beef between Ben and King Art Games. Who knew? <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I think that I'm I'm done with that. I don't Yeah, that's a wrap. I think. I, it's a bit annoying because I probably will carry on playing it just to sort of I want to at least see the third campaign and see whether you get any different mechs and that kind of stuff. They're the best. They're the best ones, the Saxony. Are they? Oh, good, good. I think so. Okay, well so yeah, like I probably will play at least a couple more missions. And then knowing me and knowing how I get stuck in a rut, I'll probably think, well, I've played this many missions. I should at least finish the game. (laughs) But yeah, then we will move on. There are less missions which drag on. There's maybe like one, which is a bit tricky, but I think I remember the Rustviet campaign being by far the hardest. Right. It made me want to play uh, an actual base building game a little bit more though. It sort of gave me a flavour of that where I thought it's been ages since I did play for instance, Age of Mythology or something like that, where you are developing your base and mining resources and establishing yourself. And there's a satisfaction to that that I remember feeling when we played Frostpunk. And now, you know, we've referenced Frostpunk quite a lot. And the more I think back to it, the more I really fucking like that game. Mm. So maybe I, maybe at some stage I'll just play the expansion, see whether they do anything decent with it. Anyway, what are we going to play next, Teo? Um... Are we... Don't give me this shit. We talked about it like 20 seconds ago. <laughs> yeah, but are we revealing it now? Why wouldn't we? Well, I suppose we are. I suppose we should. We're going to play Subnautica Below Zero. Subnautica? Never heard of it. <laughs> what game is that, you say? Yeah, a game we bang on about all the time. <laughs> yeah, I looked back at my Steam because I just I went and bought Below Zero and it popped up with how many hours I'd spent in Subnautica. 52 hours I'd spent in it and I didn't even finish it. God, I love that game. That's solid. I, I played it twice, mate. Played it twice. Played it the first time. And what's funny about it is I remember the first time I ever played it, sending you a message early on, being like, how do you do anything? This is so confusing. I can't find anything, blah, blah, blah. And being like so lost. And you being like, eh, just stick it out, just stick it out. And I did. And oh my God, incredible experience. So I'm really hoping. We've been watching this like Hawks, haven't we? Because it's been going yeah. through... Um, beta or whatever they call it early, early access. access and because of our policy to only give you finished products only review finished products we haven't um played it yet but now yeah it's coming out isn't it it is coming out so it's going to be released may 14th 2021 hopefully roughly around the time that this comes out Teo and i have got a little bit ahead of ourselves so fucking organized these days mm-hmm. head of the game mm-hmm. so we're sort of hedging our bets a bit that we release this episode not long after the actual game has come out i think it will be a little bit after but looking forward to talking about that yeah i'm really looking forward to playing it as well we don't want to say too much i feel like i could already start talking about the game even though i haven't played it yet Oh my god, one glaring omission. Um, we didn't talk about multiplayer at all. I was going to rib you because I challenged you twice 
to a game and both times you just sort of ignored the message first time was like a, a full ignore and the second time i have like maybe you just kind of like went to talk about something else instead if we'd have had a multiplayer game then we might have got a, a better insight into really like what this game's all about because i do actually kind of think it would be quite balanced as a, as a 1v1 match what do you think I think we've done quite enough dick swinging for now, Teo. I also think your experience with RTS would probably crush me. Plus the fact that I can't play it on any platform that's smooth, whereas you've got a super buttery rig. So I feel like I'd be disadvantaged in that situation. Although you ribbing me probably would have been quite fun. Ribbing with a B, just to be clear. <laughs> we'll see.